This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot Hey guys, ready or not, 2024 is here and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. We have an amazing show for everybody today. What do we have, Crystal? Indeed, we do. Lots to get to this morning, including new uh, footage from our RFK Junior focus group. You guys seem to really be interested in what they had to say yesterday. Today, they are tackling some of his more controversial positions with regard to Ukraine and also with regard to Israel. You definitely are going to want to see that. We also have Kamala Harris saying that she is ready to serve. Uh, as this comes amid heightened concerns about Joe Biden's age, of course, and also the return of Jon Stewart to The Daily Show. Uh, We watched it this morning. We were both in bed by that Mm -hmm. point last night, but he had some comments about Biden's age as well, which I think you will want to take a look at. Uh, Donald Trump, meanwhile, has a big week in court. The Supreme Court heard uh, oral arguments last week about the possibility of kicking him off the ballot. That did not seem to go too well for those who do want to kick him off the ballot, but Trump has some difficulties facing him this week. So we'll break all of that down for you. Israel is saying that we should be the ones to pay to shelter Palestinians Mm. um, who uh, they want to move and displace out of Rafah and begin this overwhelming offensive. So we'll tell you about that. We also have a Democratic senator. This was a big surprise. It's sort of just like standard run of the mill. Senator Van Hollen from Maryland actually saying Israel is committing war crimes, but it didn't change his vote on shipping billions in weapons to Israel. So break all of that down for you. I'm also taking a look at a six-year-old who was killed by Israel in Gaza alongside her would-be rescuers, um, breaking all of that down for you and also what it means for our participation in this war. So a lot to get to this morning before we jump into any of that, though. Thank you so much to all of those who helped to make this RFK Junior Focus Group happen because I think it has been really interesting and insightful to see their comments. Oh, absolutely. I found this group in particular to be very interesting. As you guys know, if you're signing up for our premium membership, breakingpoints.com, you're supporting our ability to 
to do these. They do cost uh, quite a bit of money, but they're worth it. And we put a lot of production uh, value, the travel, you know, uh, all of our crew and everybody that has to be able to go there. So thank you so much for supporting that. And also for uh, signing up yesterday to see a little bit of our uh, takes on the Vladimir Putin interview. We're very, very grateful uh, to that. It's something we'll continue to experiment here. So again, breakingpoints.com, you get the show an hour early, all of the benefits, you can go and look at the website. But the major one is you're helping support our work here to continue to actually bring things that apparently the mainstream media doesn't want to do, especially here with RFK. So we have, as Crystal alluded to, a clip that we can now show you of the RFK Jr. focus group sounding off on Israel and on Ukraine for his, both his positions, what they think about it, their reactions, some really interesting results. Let's take a listen. Put your hand up if you think, if you've got, if you think you've got a pretty good idea of what RFK Jr.'s views on Israel are. No idea. Haven't researched it. Uh, halfway up. I think he's trying to, to straddle the fence. My mom used to call it straddling the fence. He's kind of playing both sides. He wants to very clearly distinguish his dislike for certain policies versus their need to defend themselves and making it very clear that in that region, they're not just our best ally, but they're the best place for the people who live in that region in terms of rights and democracy. So I think RFK Jr. has been quite quite vocal in his support for Israel and for, and for U.S. government support of Israel. What do people think about what's going on out there? What should what should the U.S.'s position be? I feel that the United States should concentrate as much on the United States. We have such such a deficit here in the United States of helping our own people. They keep going to war and it's like, what are they fighting for? Nobody know what they really are fighting for, so why do we keep going to war? There's a militant faction in there that needs to be taken care of, but the, the innocent people, always in war, they suffer. So it's, it's a terrible thing. So should the US be funding Israel on this issue or, or not? I think Israel gives back as much as it gets. I don't think that they're, I don't feel like it's, um, that they're takers. I mean, they're, they've done so much for the military uh, and intelligence, and they, you know, I think there's so much that they give back. We had Hurricane Katrina over here where they wiped out millions of people's homes, and they didn't even help them. So how could you go help another country when you can't help your own? I just don't get it. I, I just don't. I don't know. I stand firm to that. If we are allocating money there, it should come with heavier stipulations on, like, hey, maybe don't bomb residential areas just because you say that Hamas is hiding there, using them as hostage. You don't shoot through the hostage to kill the person who's holding the hostage. Put your hand up if you do think Israel is acting too aggressively, to quote Devon, in this war. I understand they have to come and try to get you know the militants out, but do we need to level the entire area? And there's so many innocent people that are affected by that. What if this was happening here? I mean, these innocent people in these communities that they're going in and they're leveling cities that are no more. I think they need to take a step back and really evaluate their destruction. But just think about the people, the troops, they got to go over there that's getting killed. It's the same thing for us. We're getting killed, too. It's not just like they just going over there and they surviving. As I said earlier, you know, he's got a strong view on this. Put your hand up if that makes you less likely to vote for him. And put your hand up if it makes no difference. I, I don't. I mean, the fact I, that I he supports them, I'm very for that. It would not persuade me not to vote for him because of his other amazing outlook 
on the world. If he's 100% good in my mind, then he's now like 85 or 90, and that's miles above the rest. What about in, with the war in Ukraine? Russia and Ukraine, where is he on that? Have you got a sense of his position there? He wants to negotiate and, and get peace. And how do we feel about that war? That's also something that we're spending way too much money on when the Ukrainians are obviously losing. When you take into account what happened in Ohio and East Palestine and what happened in Lahaina, in, in Maui, that money could have gone to those places to help those people who are Americans. So hands up if you think the US government should be sending money to Ukraine to help them in that war. And hands up if you want the US government to send money to Israel to help them. I, I, mean, I, I want like them to help, to help but, but there's, you know. there's got to be a cutoff. So because we got people starving here. We've got, you know, not wars, but we have, you know, some detrimental issues here. What makes Ukraine different? What makes, why, why no hands for Ukraine? They equate Israel as holy land. And so people seem to gravitate toward the help for Israel. Why do you think RFK Jr. is the, the mediator on Ukraine and Russia, but supports Israel? He is acknowledging that Russia made a point that NATO should not expand into, uh, like add Ukraine into NATO because it's uh, in, inherently a, uh, an advantageous organization to Russia. It seems like a proxy war over there. We've given a lot of aid already, so it's it's a long you know long time span, and Israel is more recent. If somebody stood up tomorrow, politician, you know RFK Jr. or he became president, say, or anyone did, and turned around and said, you know, tomorrow we're going to cut off that funding to, to to Ukraine, how would it make you feel? It would make me feel much better. There's way too much money going there. I think I would be okay with it as well. I think I would too. I think we need to support other countries with a cap. You know, there's only so much we can do. Like, you know, our parents have always said, you know, you gotta help home first before you start going outside the house. I think they should cut it way back and that would force them to come to the negotiation table. It's time. So many innocent lives, you know, destruction, all of it. And they do have a vested stake in part of the Ukraine, the Russians do. You know, do I condone that or not? No, but I mean, it's the, the reality of the situation. Some very interesting results there. Uh, what, so what was my number? Six out of seven say mm -hmm. that they believe that the Israeli military operation is, quote, over the top, to borrow mm -hmm. a phrase from our current president. Uh, not going to impact the votes for all of them. Makes sense. Something that our moderator, James, made yesterday is like, the, these are people who are going to vote for him, right? Yeah, is not they're already in. Perspective. I do think you can see there, though, that there is definitely, you know, some mild incongruence, I think that's a polite way to say it, uh, between some of the arguments that he says between Israel and between Ukraine. But I think what it comes back to is the practicality for so many of these voters in the way that they feel about how much they hate Joe Biden and Donald Trump. That for them, even though, you know, at what, what would the guy say? He's like, look, if it was 100% for me, now it's like 85%. Yeah. But he's like, but I still trust him more than I trust the other two. And that's, a, you know, that's a very powerful, pragmatic way for people to look at voting. And one that many Biden voters, many Trump voters will have in their calculus as well. So if anybody wants to denigrate them, just be honest. Like most people do that when you're in a blocked into a two party or in this uh, case a three candidate system. Yeah, yeah, I mean there were a few things about this that were really fascinating. Mm -hmm. First of all, 
basically none of them really had a good grasp of what his Israel policy even is. Um, when at the beginning, and I love that James uh, started out this way, and by the way, shout out to JL Partners. They always do a fantastic yes. job with these focus groups. But I love that he started out with just like, who even knows what RFK Jr.'s foreign policy position on Israel is? And you heard one lady, she was like, no idea. You did have two people who raised their hands who tried to articulate something. I didn't feel like either one of them really fully uh, articulated what his actual position is. So there's clearly a lot of uncertainty there about what even is his uh, is his position vis-a-vis -vis Israel, which that's, there's no judgment here. These are regular people living their lives, going about their business. They don't have time to follow all the ins and outs of every single RFK Jr. comment, interview, et cetera, on the issue. I found that interesting. But then very clearly, with the exception of one woman who, you know, I think it was pretty clear from yesterday's comments in the focus group as well. She tends to have more of the sort of like conservative positions. My suspicion, I'd be interested to check with James on this. My suspicion is she was probably a prior Trump voter. She mm -hmm. seems to fit more consistently in that lane. She was the one who was most comfortable with Israel's response, who was most certain about, you know, shipping them more uh, aid and more weapons, et cetera. Everybody else was somewhere in the context of either no, we shouldn't send them at all, or there should be a cap. Um, they very much had the attitude of, listen, we had a lot of problems here. Yes. What are we doing in all these wars? And many of them brought up, hey, these innocent civilians are suffering greatly. Okay, I get it. Go and get Hamas. There's a, you know, an issue there, a militant group. But all of these innocent civilians, you have to wipe out the entire residential area. So clearly amongst this group, there was a lot of upset about what's going on, but they hadn't necessarily connected it to whatever RFK's, you know, very, very, very pro-Israel stance is. And also when asked about it, ultimately, it was not the, you know, a, a game-changing issue for them, even after they learned more about what his stance is. Contrast that with, I felt like they had a lot more clarity about where he stands on Ukraine. Yeah, well, he's been talking about it for He's years. been talking about it longer. Yeah, exactly. um, and, you know, so that may have been part of the appeal for them that he clearly stood out, especially from Joe Biden, with regards to how he talks about Ukraine and how he wants to move forward on Ukraine. His ideology and positioning there seemed to be much more consistent with the instincts of this group overall. And so I thought that was really uh, fascinating as well. But their logic, in a lot of ways, is actually more consistent than RFK Jr.'s logic of like, all of these wars, all of this foreign funding for these countries, listen, we feel bad for these people, but we also have to deal with problems here at home, seem to be the sort of overwhelming sentiment of all seven individuals in the group. I mean, these people are all speaking my language because I think that they can see through it very clearly. Uh, tomorrow, CounterPoints will break down the full Ukraine vote and all of that. But I would be remiss if I did not mention a line from Senator Romney last night, which is uh, really, you know, encapsulates this type of thinking. He said when he voted for the Ukraine aid package and the Israel package, quote, most, this is the most important vote we will ever take as U.S. senators. This is a United States senator who believes that shipping money to Ukraine and to Israel is the most important vote that he will ever take, you know, in his years in the body. Just think about that. Not, you know, anything to do with helping us, with our country. It's about shipping weapons into a protracted proxy conflict of which there is no hope of victory, especially in the case of the Ukrainian side. How can you possibly think that unless you have some warped, crazy idea that you think it's like September 1939. But as we've said many times here on this show, not everything is Hitler. You know, we don't always have to default to uh, the Munich conference and the subsequent things. Sometimes uh, things are regional wars and the way that we handle those and the way that we approach our own conflicts and our own problems here at home maybe should have supremacy. And I think 
at the very least, what I'm happy about with these voters and in general with the majority of the American public is that they see through a lot of this, even yeah. if they might have fallen for some of it in the initial days. Not everything is Hitler. Sometimes it's Yaroslav the Wise <laughs> that contains the real lines for us in unlocking the understanding yes. of this conflict. Now, I mean, what is fascinating to me also is this group, very diverse, mm -hmm. diverse racially, age. gender, age-wise, um, they, I'm sure, get their news from a variety of different outlets. I mean, this is a very ideologically diverse group in a lot of ways because you have people who voted for Biden, you have people who voted for Trump, and you have people who voted third party. And now they're saying, you know what? I'm done with all of. The, I'm done with both of the two major parties. I'm all in for RFK Jr. because I'm just disgusted with what the other options are that are on the table. And yet, they have, even with their disparate news consumption, they have come to similar conclusions about what's going on. They've seen through a lot of the propaganda and a lot of the bullshit. Yes. And you just can't hide anymore. Like with regard to the, the you know, uh, Israel's war in Gaza, you just can't hide anymore the images of the horror that is being inflicted upon these innocent civilians. They've seen it. You know, whether they're getting their news from us or from the New York Times or CNN or wherever, that has broken through and they've seen it and they've made their own judge judgments about it separate and apart from whatever the political class wants them to believe. And you can see the same thing with Ukraine. They have made their own judgments separate and apart from whatever it was the news media wanted them to take away and whatever the you know two parties want them to take away from that conflict. They've made their own judgments about what the priorities should be for this country. And they don't, by and large, see that reflected in either one of the two parties right now. And so they're looking for an alternative. Now, clearly on Israel, RFK Jr.'s uh, ideas and position, mm. I mean, first of all, it's just basically the same as Donald Trump and Joe Biden. So you really have no choice in terms of Israel uh, policy vis-a-vis -vis Israel amongst these three candidates. Clearly, there's a dissonance there. But they see enough in him as just an alternative vote, someone other than these terrible two choices that I have, that even though they're realizing there's some dissonance between how they feel about that conflict and how he does, they're still sticking with him. And it is almost just a, you know, a sort of default protest vote of these two suck, he's at least something different, Let's give it a shot. You know, I think the point you just made is pretty good. If there's not that much daylight between the three of them, then you might as well pick the best best one. I mean, that's one that uh, makes sense for a lot of people, I think. So anyways, uh, that's look, it's always best to hear it from the voters themselves about their priorities, about the way they're assessing. What I'm most heartened by is you've got people here all across age spectrum, news consumption, voting, et cetera. And you know what it is? They ain't buying the line of the mainstream media or yeah. of the political class. And to me, that is just such such a victory to even be in a place where you could have something like that. Regardless, you know, I, we never, I don't want to tell anybody what to think. It's like all we can do is to try and help give them the information that other people are not. That's really the most pernicious form of censorship. Yeah. As you know, you've covered it here before on the Israeli military campaign. It'll be like 12,000 people died today. It's like, yeah, how? Through what? Right. It, you know, it's like, they well, just mysteriously, they just mysteriously dropped in. Drop were dead? they vaxxed? Question mark? Yeah, right. Vaxxed? <laughs> died suddenly? What happened here? Or it's like, were they murdered? How were they murdered? How did this happen? It's like, it was like, well, some people were, you know, treated some way and the others. Like, all, all most people want is fairness and equal treatment whenever they're looking at something. And the blessing of the internet is that in general, they can see through that for all of the, you know, the for all of the rabbit holes and selective coverage and all that, that exists there. I think we are in a better and more foreign place. Yeah. Uh, last thing on this focus group, and this is going to be relevant to the um, something we're about to cover about the DNC coming for RFK and trying to make sure that he is unable to get ballot access, 
it's very clear to me, and it should be clear to absolutely everyone, that there is a huge appetite for just anyone mm -hmm. other than Trump and Biden. Yes. I think that, you know, uh, the Super Bowl ad from RFK Jr. was very smart. I thought it hit exactly the right notes, you know, putting forward the Kennedy name as just like, listen, you don't have to pick from these two dudes. There is another person out here. Um, he has a lot of money in the bank. I think one of the biggest obstacles for him is just going to be is he literally able to obtain ballot yes. access because yes. there is a huge appetite out there for an alternative. And I think that is reflected very much in uh, the focus group participants. Well, and thank you to them, by the way, yes. for participating, because it really was interesting. Well, it takes courage. Thoughts. I mean, it's not always fun. You know, you, you and I, it's not like it's ain't always a picnic to voice your opinions uh, in a day-to-day -day news cycle. These are just people living their lives and to appear on camera, you know, be broadcast to hundreds of thousands of people uh, to hear their views. It really, really does. You know, for not just them, the Trump people, the Biden people as well, it's not always a good, easy position to take. Mm -hmm. So I really applaud them and, and uh, I encourage more people to participate in these types of things, especially the ones that we're going to be continuing to do in the future. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Let's move to the next part. Uh, as you referenced about that Super Bowl ad, there is definitely a lot of consternation inside the Kennedy family after that RFK Jr. Super Bowl ad ran. Let's put this up there on the screen. Uh, this came uh, RFK tweeting almost immediately saying, quote, I'm so sorry if the Super Bowl advertisement caused anyone <coughs> family pain. The ad was created and aired by the American Values Super PAC without any involvement or approval from my campaign. FEC rules prohibit Super PACs from consulting with me or my staff. I love you all. God bless you. He still, though, however, does have the uh, ad pinned to his profile. <laughs> so sorry. sorry, not sorry, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> think he should be sorry. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry. Do you have a freaking monopoly on the Kennedy family name? I'm There's, there's like over, a, what, there's like 200 of you now at this point. Yeah. For example, like Bobby Shriver, who is the son of 
I believe, of huge, okay, Eunice Kennedy and uh, Sergeant Shriver, who was, Eunice Kennedy was JFK's sister. Okay. He tweets out, my cousin's Super Bowl ad used our uncle's faces and my mother's. We would be appalled by his deadly health care. She would be appalled by his deadly health care views. Respect for science, vaccines, et cetera, our equity were in her DNA. She strongly opposed that and supported my health care work at the one campaign and red, which he opposes. Where it's like, okay, dude, now you're using your mom's family name to support the work that you're doing. It's like, would anybody care about Bobby Shriver if his last name wasn't Shriver? Sorry. You know, and the same thing, like one of his cousins chimed in in the same way. RFK alone had like 11 kids, 11. JFK, what, he had two. If you could include the Shrivers, uh, Maria Shriver, and you got the Schwarzeneggers and all that, who has claim at this point to mm. the, the Kennedy family name? I'm just like, listen, if your last name is Kennedy, if, if we've got, what, three now? U.S. congressmen who have grifted off the Kennedy name mm. to be mediocre ones, Bobby can do whatever he wants to. If anything, <laughs> he has probably more of a claim to the legacy than like a great, great uncle, son, or whatever, who has been some random congressman from Massachusetts. So I was very annoyed by it. I'm curious what you think. Well, yeah. okay. So first of all, the second I saw that ad, yeah. I said to Kyle, I was yeah. like, the family's going to be furious. Yes. They're going to be furious right. because, I mean, that ad is, in, for political nerds, it's an iconic ad. Everyone knows it's this, you know, nostalgia throwback. And then for him to be superimposed on the ad and really be claiming, like, I am the legacy. I am the heir apparent. I am the Kennedy brand. I knew they were going to be pissed mm -hmm. off. And it's not the first time that the family has put out statements condemning him, condemning his positions, saying we absolutely do not support him. We 100% are behind Joe Biden. And I think that's their right, too. Yeah, they can do like, whatever they, they want. You know, right. I, I yes. understand their upset of, like, this direction for the Kennedy brand is not at all what we want, what we see, what we identify with. And so I don't, it doesn't like upset me that they put out statements, sure. but it does get to this a couple things. So first of all, I think this comes out in our focus group. It is really clear that he would not be where he is politically if it, his name was not mm -hmm. RFK Jr. He, the oh, Kennedy he's name. He's all but admitted some of that. He, right? The yeah. Kennedy name is right. a huge part of his appeal. Right. That's why back when he was in the Democratic primary, the moment he jumped in, you know, all of a sudden he's at 20% or so in the mm -hmm. polls just because of that nostalgia, of that association. And there's an irony to it because. You know, this is a uh, country that, you know, famously threw off a king, right? Doesn't like mm -hmm. supposedly political dynasties. And yet, on the other hand, there clearly is deep affinity and association for certain political dynasties. Um, and, uh, you know, we've uh, the Clintons, uh, for better and mostly worse, are sort of a political dynasty. The Bushes, for a long time, political dynasty. We sort of have pushed those big brand names back into the past. And yet here you have people who are reaching for an alternative who are just like, let's go back even further to this longer term American political dynasty, which is the closest thing we've had to like political royalty in this country is the, the Kennedy family. So sure. there is a lot going on here. Like I said, I knew instantly when I saw the ad that his family was going to be really pissed. And it is funny. Like, I don't think he should have apologized because yeah. it is it. If one of the things that the focus group participants told us is they love his authenticity, the sense that he mm -hmm. just like says what he thinks. 
And this is not a big thing, but it is sort of indicative. You can't be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This ad was like really hurtful and I, I apologize for it, but then also be like, and I'm pinning that ad at the top of my Twitter profile <laughs> because I love it and I want everybody to see it. Like, yeah. just say, listen, you can disagree with me. It's fine. You don't have to embrace my campaign. I get it. You have your own views, but you know, this is what I believe is best for the country rather than doing this kind of two-faced thing, which lands very poorly. Told, I, yeah, I, I don't think you should have apologized, period. Like I said, he does not, uh, the, no, none of these people have monopolies. JFK's grandson, yeah, you think anybody would care about freaking Jack Sloshberg if he wasn't JFK's grandson? He's my age. He doesn't even have a real job. You know, it's like all of these people, or Caroline Kennedy, our great ambassador uh, to Japan. It's like, oh yeah, you're totally a great, or was an ambassador to Japan. It's like, you definitely would have gotten that diplomatic post mm -hmm. if it wasn't for your last name. And look, it's not just and her. Wealth, Chelsea Clinton. Yeah, Ted Kennedy. And how many of his screw-up relatives, you know, have we all had to uh, endure in American politics in the last couple of days, or in the last couple of years? I just think it's one of those where you guys are all doing it. Don't complain. You, nobody has a mo monopoly uh, on this. But to go back to the important point, which is what we were originally talking about with the DNC, is this ad and the super PAC and more, they really realize how much trouble they're in. Let's put this up there on the screen. The DNC has now filed an official complaint alleging that the RFK Jr. Super PAC is working too closely with the campaign. They say that it is a, quote, ballot access scheme and argues that it constitutes illegal coordination with the Super PAC supporting the independent bid for the White House. The committee is alleging that the American Values 2024 while working to collect signatures to ensure he's on the ballot, will have to, quote, integrate their expenses with the campaign in ways that violate federal election rules in order to do so. Crystal, you've had more experience in the political realm. Can you explain this so-called firewall between super PACs and campaigns? Because I honestly still don't fully well, I mean, understand the, it. it's very simple. You yeah. just can't coordinate. Right. You cannot coordinate. And so there are legal argument here is basically like because the super PAC mm. is doing all this work to try to get him on the ballot and it's actually the candidate who has to submit the signatures that inevitably they're going to have to coordinate at some point. As a legal argument, I have no idea whether it has merit. As a uh, philosophical argument, this is total and complete bullshit and it's obvious what's going on here. Mm -hmm. They do not want him on the ballot. They don't want people to have that choice. They want to force a choice that is only between Joe Biden and Donald Trump because they know in another contest where people have other options, they are completely screwed. Their only hope is to try to keep the quote-unquote anti-Trump coalition together that got Joe Biden barely over the finish line last time. And if you have any divergence from that whatsoever, whether it's from RFK Jr., Cornell West, or Jill Stein, or anybody else, they are completely screwed. The polls have showed at this point you know, the original theory, which I was always a little skeptical of. You can go back and watch the coverage at the time. The original theory was that, oh, maybe RFK Jr. is probably going to take more um, from Trump. He's going to appeal to more Trump voters because a lot of the positions that he leaned into were more right-wing coded, including his position uh, with regard to Ukraine. The polling has not borne that out, and it's partly because, you know, there's a lot of dissatisfied former Democratic voters. It's partly because Joe Biden's support is incredibly soft. People, even his supporters, are not particularly enthusiastic about him. And so, at best, RFK Jr. seems to take equally from both candidates, and plenty of polls have shown the opposite, that he actually seems to take more from Joe Biden. So they are launching an all-out war on democracy, let's be honest, 
to try to keep RFK Jr. from even appearing as a choice on the ballot. Now, we, uh, when we interviewed RFK Jr. last time, we asked mm -hmm. him, you asked him very directly, yes. are you going to be on the ballot? He said 100%, I'm going to be on all 50 states. I honestly don't know how you can promise, you can't promise that at this point. That's not his fault. That's the fault of both of the parties collaborating effectively in every state in the country post Ross Perot to make it as difficult as possible for an independent party candidate to gain ballot access. It is wildly unfair. It is wildly anti-democratic. Again, it's not RFK Jr.'s fault, but there are no guarantees that he is going to actually be on the ballot in any of these states. And it's entirely possible that lawsuits like this, and this I'm sure is the first of what will be many lawsuits against him in all of these various states. And some of them are very likely to succeed because a lot of the ju judges adjudicating them and a lot of the law itself was written in a very partisan manner. So in that way, uh, it, that is, in some ways, the biggest obstacle to him. Now, he has other cha challenges. Obviously, there's a lot of partisan sentiment in the country. There are a lot of people who just are diehard Democrats, a lot of people who just are diehard Trump supporters. But I do think that there is a large sentiment also in favor of an alternative. The question is whether or not there will be any alternatives um, for Americans that even appear on the ballot. And I think that is the biggest challenge. The other thing is, and I do want to always make this clear, you know, even this group of uh, focus group voters who are with RFK and want to support him, even them, when they were really pushed on, okay, well, if it's very clear he's not going to win and, you know, you either have Joe Biden or Donald Trump, you know, are you 100% going to vote for RFK? And even some of them were not 100% clear. We see this a lot of the times with third-party candidates that people are excited mm -hmm. about it. But when it comes down to it and it's like, yeah, but I don't really think they're going to be able to win the day. So really, you know, I'm kind of throwing my vote away if I don't vote for one of the two parties. Oftentimes their support ebbs um, when it comes down to, and even Ross Perot, let's remember, he didn't win a single electoral college vote. So the system is really rigged and stacked against you. And part of that rigging is what we're seeing here from the DNC. We're going to tie you up with legal challenges in every way we possibly can. We're going to make sure that instead of, you know, focusing 100% on campaigning, you're having to focus on ballot access. You're having to fight these challenges in court. And so even though you guys know I'm not an RFK Jr. fan, um, you know, I've got a lot of issues with him, Israel being one of those issues. Of course, I have that same issue with Joe Biden and Donald Trump, but let's <laughs> put that aside. Um, but even though I'm not a fan, like, I am a fan of democracy, and I believe yes. people should have choices, and this is complete and utter bullshit from the Democratic it's Party. It's complete, but you're exactly right. I mean, it's just a project. And and, you know, I'm on RFK Jr.'s website where they're talking specifically about ballot access. The number of signatures that you need in some of these states is just completely insane. Like in California, you need some 22,500. They say here that 39 states require 10,000 or fewer, but tech, California, Florida, and Texas require more than 100,000 signatures. And again, it's if it was just a matter of just getting normal people to just sign, it would be fine. But there it comes down to like legibility and they can challenge challenge uh, the validity if you can't read it properly. There's like address verification. These are all dirty tricks that people have been using in politics now for decades, not only to just keep uh, opponents off, but specifically third-party ballots. So as you said, the more that he appears to be a threat, the, e the more that they are going to go after him for ballot.
ballot access, and they are going to legally try and make his life a nightmare. The key victory for him will be if he can get on in the swing states and in the big ones, California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania. But that in and of itself, as I just laid out, is such an immense project. It's going to cost millions of dollars. So it's like what also what the DNC doesn't use super PACs. They've got, you know, they have just as many as the Republicans. They've got a billion dollars in funding on their side. Like the, the things they're, they're slinging here are just, is just ridiculous. They make it also so that if you are one of the candidates for one of the two major parties, it's yeah. obviously yeah, way it's easier to get on the ballot. And I think it was California. I looked this up a while ago. Uh, I think it was California that it was like, not only did you have to get this massive number of signatures, but you had like this very limited time frame in order to yeah. obtain them. I know um, Bobby has been looking at potentially running a Libertarian Party ticket um, to try to get ballot access, or even he's he and Cornell West have both talked about forming their own parties because in some states that makes it easier to obtain right. ballot access. But it is an insane threshold that has been set here and insane obstacles just to the basic functionings of democracy. It really is truly outrageous. And I don't care what you think of RFK Jr. Like I said, I have my own thoughts about him. You should support democracy. You should support the right of people in this country to have actual real choices. Totally, I could not agree more. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Let's move on to the uh, next part here. Just uh, some funny continuing fallout from Joe Biden, the special counsel that concluded he is too old, infirm, and not have, does not have enough mental acuity to stand trial. 
official position of the Department of Justice. Well, who's the number two? Kamala Harris. And uh, they're trotting her out, you know, trying to make it so that she very much could be presented as an alternative figure. Should you be uncomfortable voting for Biden, you can be rest solid that she is there right behind him. Let's put this up there on the screen. So the Wall Street Journal did an interview. Interestingly, this actually was two days before the actual special counsel report on board Air Force Two, in which she says, quote, I am ready to serve. There's no question about that. Everyone who sees her on the job, Harris says, has walked away fully aware of my capacity to lead. So according to her, everyone that has seen her on the job has come, walked away with a full awareness of her capacity to lead. Throughout uh, much of this, really what comes across, Crystal, I think both with the um, headline of this, the interview, and even the questions that were being presented to her, it's obvious that for a lot of people, they're very understanding, even now the press, you know, which really was tight-lipped up until the point of the special counsel report. They're like, we need to seriously prepare ourselves for the fact that if this man wins re-election, he's going to die. He's going to die in office. Very, very possible. You can go watch my monologue in the past about life uh, actuarial tables and how the odds are, and they're not good for him making it all the way to the end. But what comes across to me is the impossible position that the Biden-Harris ticket is, quote unquote, because for all of the approval rating problems of Biden, he's in Jimmy Carter territory, 39%, all of that. Hers is worse you know, it's like it she has a worse approval rating than he does, and we barely see her. And it's because anytime that we do, she just makes the most, she has the most bizarre, you know, uh, affect. She's always, as Marshall has said at our live shows, reaching for an Aaron Sorkin-esque thing, and it comes <laughs> out garbled. I mean, to me, she is like the absolute worst of the opportunists, the empty shell. And I mean, we've seen also the egomaniac that she is as well with the massive level of staff turnover under her and the clashes with the White House and the West Wing, which disdain her ability to quote unquote lead as well. And apparently, according to this article, she did refuse on Sunday to actually go on the shows to defend Joe Biden, or at least, you know, she said she had a scheduling conflict or something, which I find incredibly extraordinary. I'm not what you thought. Well, what, what, sure they, what you thought of what it. they said yeah. is that uh, the Biden people had asked her to go on the Sunday shows yeah. to defend him. And instead, she was so anxious to go out and defend him right away that she decided to give comments that day or the next day. I can't remember Why, after can't both after one yeah. of her events. Yeah, it yeah. does the question. What, you're so busy on Sunday. What are you freaking doing on Sunday? The other thing yeah. with uh, Kamala Harris, though, is that <laughs> and this goes back to her days as a senator. She has always been very camera shy and mm. very uncomfortable in interviews. Um, you know, she doesn't like to have things coming at her that she's not prepared for. She doesn't do particularly well in those settings. I'll, you recall that Lester Holt interview that she did early on with regard to the border, you know, where he was pressing her, like, why haven't you gone down there? And she was like, well, there are a lot of places I haven't. I can't remember what she said. Like, well, I was in Europe or something like yeah, that. It was, was like, like, I went to the border. I was at the border. I was in Europe. And everyone's like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> which just, border are you talking I mean, about? you know, she doesn't say she just laughs yeah. when she's uncomfortable too, which is very off-putting. So I think part of the potentially avoidance of the Sunday shows wasn't so much that she didn't want to defend Joe Biden because 
her ticket to relevance it runs yeah, directly right. through Joe right. Biden. And the only reason that she is vice president, obviously, is because he decided he made this commitment to James Clyburn and mm. whatever. And so she ends up in there. The only way that she'll ever become president of the United States is potentially through him dying in office or just being propped up again by the political establishment and the powers that be. So I think she, you know, she's very determined to support him however she can. So my read of the Sunday show avoidance was more her own discomfort in front of the cameras and fear of making her own mistakes um, as it was about any sort of rift with her and the president. But just to, to back up what you're saying about mm -hmm. her delivery, it's not just even the things she says that are so head scratching. Like you read the transcript and you're like, what? But also the way she delivers things is so strange. And for some reason, I don't even know why. This old clip of her at some like swearing in ceremony just went viral on left Twitter because of how strange and mm. bizarre her delivery of this line is. Just so you guys know what we're talking about, let's take a listen to that. You think you just fell out of a coconut tree? <laughs> you exist in the context of all in which you live and what came before you. Now, huh? what part? <laughs> right. so, okay, what's the context here? Like, uh, okay, what, so, what is the actual context? So actually, people went back and forth. She's actually quoting her mother, uh -huh. and her mom and dad were both like Marxists, basically. Yes. Well, I knew her and dad. And so was. people were, you know, reading into this. This is some like ac accidental Marxism that she sort of imbibed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why it went viral on left Twitter. But then the other reason is because. Again, the delivery is just so strange and like her mannerisms and why are you saying that's at this swearing in ceremony for I think some people in the education department or something like mm -hmm. that. This just like run of the mill, you know, bureaucracy swearing in ceremony situation. So I got to tell you, though, Sagar, the more that I see Joe Biden. Uh -huh the more ready for Kamala I am. Oh, I, I, you I'm know how I feel about this woman and yeah. all that I've said about her. And I would take Kamala Harris over Joe Biden at this point Just between his age and between his support for Israel, it, which is like totally, totally in uh, unmovable, unshakable, locked in in like 1973. Yes, Kamala Harris like moves with the winds. The winds are blowing against what Joe Biden is doing right now, and yet he will not move because his brain is stuck in, like I said, like 1973. So listen, I'm not saying it's great. I'm saying the bar is on the freaking floor. And if I had a choice between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris at this point, it's not even a question in my mind. I would I take know. Kamala Harris all day long. At least her synapses <laughs> are firing in some direction. At least when I'm watching her, I'm like, what is she saying? But I'm not like, is she even going to be able to complete this sentence or find this word that she's searching for? So get, that's I where I am there, at this Crystal. point. I just can't get there. I, you, I don't so you know. would take Biden over Kamala? I don't know. I want, I'd rather shoot myself in the head. Like, this is what I'm saying. But I'd these are not. the choices we have I, I, at the, I on the table I at mean, this point, me, Sagar. It's like, to me, Crystal, I genuinely believe she would be the worst president since Andrew Johnson. And you can call me hyperbolic if you want. I think she's a race huckster. I think she is a opportunist. I think she is one of those people who where the wind blows, as you say, look, maybe it go in the right direction on Israel. Look at the way that it's blowing within the blob on Ukraine. She, this lady will end up with us in a yeah, but nuclear war. That's exactly where Joe Biden is, I, listen, too. I, this so is what I'm it's saying. not like it's different. It's an impossible choice. I just feel like, so on, yeah. uh, with regard to Israel, there yeah. is at least a chance, and the leaks behind the scenes are that she has been, you know, uncomfortable with some of the direction of the Biden administration, and just by dint of her being younger, um, there is at least a chance she would be marginally better 
there. So, and like I said, at least the brain is somewhat functional, even though it functions in a very bizarre way at many times. This is my so thing. I'm not saying it's great, but yes, I would take Kamala Harris a, over Joe Biden. That's a recency thing. Cause right now Israel is quote unquote, the most important thing, but like, you don't know. I mean, it, listen, if she, if, if the whole George Floyd thing happened while she was president, we'd have freaking Ibrahim Kendi in the department of anti-racism under this lady. For me, it's just too existent. I, I don't know though. At the same time with Biden, like, I think he's going to die. So I, I really think like he's She was like locking up yeah. weed uh, users. Yeah. And you then should she was love also, her. Uh, you should okay. love her for that. <laughs> uh, I do love her for that. But then she turned her tune and she was and the little putting, girl getting bust. parents in prison for like, Look, to, their kids being truant. So the idea that she's going to put Ibram X. Kendi in some no, anti-racism no. department. But that's the problem. Is that she was Harlem crime whenever it was good politically advantaged. Then she was like pro-defund the police whenever that was politically advantageous. She was she's never pro-defund the freaking police. Freaking dashikis that she's wearing. She'll play a clip of her saying she's in support Look, of defund I mean, the police. Doesn't exist. I can go deep and show you even more how like at her personal level, how much she desires attention. If people want to go back and look at some of her early career, which was allegedly called sexist and all that at the time. To me, she's just an empty shell. Look, I'm, I, this is the problem. Like you're saying, you're putting me in an impossible position. Like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I Any other day, I could argue both sides. On Biden, on Israel, yeah, he probably seems to be more pro-Israel. On Ukraine, he probably, I mean, I think he's been very pro-Ukraine. But mm -hmm. the thing is with Biden is every once in a while when he's hopped up on the right stuff, you can see flashes of some of his caution, everyone, you know, that we've seen in the past. He refused to give him F-16s or whatever, but then he'll eventually cave. With Kamala, I think she would have just, I think she would have gotten us into a no-fly zone nuclear conflict in the early days. I don't trust her judgment at all. And I, that's really what it comes down to. I, I think she's you could, such a horrific opportunist I on all these I don't think you issues. could have had a worse Ukraine policy than what we have. Like, uh, I think no, we you, have you the worst right. of all worlds Ukraine policy, where on the one hand, we're like, no, we want you to fight this war. Mm. We're going to blow up this potential negotiated peace. On the other hand, we are going to like, you know, slow drip the military aid to you so you have no prayer of actually winning and you're gonna like just destroy entire multiple generations of Ukrainian men on a hope and a prayer that we're actually gonna be like I don't think you could do the Ukrainian policy worse. Um so listen, it's horrible. The, the one I'll put, mm. I'll put one point in the favor of Joe Biden. I don't think Kamala would have gone out of Afghanistan. Yeah, no, there's no I way. I don't think she would have done. And that was where, you know, his sort of like hardened old man ossified views worked out. But weighing that against, you know, just consistently supporting a genocide in Israel indefinitely to the end of time, I got to side with Kamala at this point. I, I don't know, Crystal. I just, I think that she would rip this country apart. If there was any sort of genuine, like, domestic crisis, I cannot imagine her at the helm. I just, I, again, I think it would just, I would her be, more like courage to actually do something provocative than she actually has. But it would be worse. Has. It wouldn't even be provocative. It would just be, like, rhetorical without backup by action. There's no ability to unite. She has no confidence. I mean, look, I, like I said, I think it's Johnson level. That's how bad uh, that I think it would be. But, you know, we got through Johnson. Where so are we know. with Joe Biden, uh, though? Grant, Grant got us out at the end of the day uh, from Johnson. So what do I know? Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. John Stewart made his big debut last night, I guess a return debut, and he did it very much in John Stewart fashion, Indecision 2024. It's been a long time mm-hmm. since we've heard words like that, but he also did it with a scathing look at both Joe Biden and Donald Trump, the subject of age, going after the media in their treatment and the surrogates uh, that support both of these individuals. Here's what he had to say. Welcome to The Daily Show. My name is John Stewart. Now, where was I? Um, <laughs> these two candidates, they are both similarly challenged. And it is not crazy to think that the oldest people in the history of the country to ever run for president might have some of these challenges. Now, Democrats will say that any criticism like this, especially of Biden, is unfair because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. I was in almost every meeting with the president and the president was in front of and on top of it all, coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security, not to mention our allies around the globe. Did anyone film that? <laughs> I'm not trying to be cruel. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to do this on my first day. Come, come over here. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Look what time hath wrought. The response in Gaza has been over the top. (laughs) You know, I like how Biden describes Israel's incessant bombing of civilians the same way my mother talks about the Super Bowl halftime show. (laughs) It was a little much. (laughs) Did they need to be on roller skates? (laughs) Whatever happened to music? You sing the song and people will love it, but with the abs and the twirling. All right, so we added a little bit of Israel uh, commentary there. Look, that's John at his best. You know, at his best, he's somebody who's able to skewer like a lot. And you know, it's interesting, Crystal. Already this morning, I'm seeing Keith Olbermann and some others attack him for quote unquote both sizing the issue. It's like it's not a both sides issue. He made a great point also in his monologue. If you watch the full thing, he's like the only record for the two oldest candidates before this are the ones that they set before in the previous election. (laughs) He's like, we've got no more age milestones to 
to break here, fellows. Like we broke the uh, the gray ceiling or whatever it is that's there at the top. So anyway, I thought he did a great job, uh, but he'll only be with us once a week, once a week. So I'm not sure who's going to be in the, the rest of the rotating cast. Yeah, I mean, he's instantly made The Daily Show relevant again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's been irrelevant for quite some time now, and he's back in form. His timing is fantastic. I thought he had some great lines there. I thought it was a great first downing. Yeah. Um, big week for millennials between John Stewart's return and <laughs> your halftime show. Yeah, so, so, you know, true. I'm pretty excited about all of those things. And I do think also, you know, a couple, a couple other things to say about it. The fact that he worked intentionally, very intentionally, worked Israel and what he describes as their incessant bombing of civilians and critiques Joe Biden's incredibly meek, sanitized language about it being over the top and the way that, you know, the media was like, oh my gosh, I can't mm. believe he said that. That's such a shift in tone, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that he works that in I think also shows his continued courage and principle mm -hmm. um, that he's not going to be afraid to go places that are uncomfortable because even though that seems like an incredibly obvious statement to make, it's the sort of thing that can get you even the fact that, you know, he's Jewish can still get you branded sure. yeah. as anti-Semitic or self-loathing or whatever. So I was glad to see that he made sure to um, include that commentary in his comments. The other thing that is worth noting is apparently the break with Apple uh, was over censorship. Hmm. And, you know, that was something that we yes. had predicted early on. Um, we had said from the launch of that show, which I do think had some, you know, had some great moments and some trenchant commentary, et cetera, that was worth checking in with. But, you know, it was like, why don't you just do this on your own? Then you don't have anyone looking over your shoulder. And Apple obviously has all kinds of conflicts mm -hmm. of interest and are inevitably going to assert um, you know, put pressure on you where those conflicts of interest come into play because they have much bigger fish to fry than the success of your one show on their platform. So that rubber eventually hit the road and good for him for saying, no, screw you. I'm not doing it. I'm not putting up with the censorship. You know, I'm at a point in my life where I don't have to and I don't want to. And so I'm going to go back to The Daily Show and offer my commentary there at least once a week. And hopefully he doesn't get face any sort of similar censorship concerns from the folks at Comedy Central. Yeah, you're right. I mean, so if if people don't remember, uh, he had uh, disagreements with them for wanting to do episodes on China, AI, and then the upcoming 2024 election. Obviously, for Apple, it's like, yeah, they manufacture all their stuff in Shanghai and Shenzhen and Guangzhou. Like, they can't be having uh, they can't be having delays over here because of the subsidized Apple TV product, which barely was working and bringing them any money. It's mm -hmm. like a lost leader for them, so it didn't make any sense. For Comedy Central, I hope it works out. I'm I'm curious just to see whether he'll have the staying power. I mean. I mean, I think he probably will because he's so famous. If he keeps this up, you know, kind of going in areas where, uh, if he keeps it up in terms of going in areas which most of the mainstream media is not going to touch, then he's going to find the same second life that he was already beginning to have in 2015 yeah. and more on the internet. Because that was another big thing. I don't know if people remember. Comedy Central clips and The Daily Show was incredibly hard to find back in the day. Uh, they were very restrictive in terms of their streaming service. But this one, they tweeted it out. They put it out on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I, I'm hoping they don't try and copyright like this video, mm -hmm. uh, for example. And I think that's a smart play because in the modern age, that stuff really does not work with uh, trying to keep, you know, trying to keep people from being able to see anything except in a certain place. It really is. You have to kind of have to be everywhere. And this is, you know, as you said, this is the first time I felt like The Daily Show is relevant since he left. Yeah. When Trevor Noah and all that, the only time I ever paid attention was when Trevor Noah left. And that was it. Or yeah. when he did something yeah. that was like particularly cringe and embarrassing. Sure, right. For himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good point.
Um, I'm just looking on YouTube right now. The uh, That opening that we played you a bit of, they titled it on YouTube, John Stewart tackles the Biden-Trump rematch that nobody wants. True. Uh -huh. It has 1.4 million views in wow. 10 hours. Jeez. So that's quite what a bit. The real number is like 2.5 million. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, because just so you guys is know, the delayed? front end always lags what you can see on mm -hmm. the back end. So clearly that is getting a lot of traction. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the clips on Twitter are even more viral. So it's obviously a very different game from when he left with the preeminence of uh, social media and of YouTube and these alternative platforms. And so as long as they're leaning into that and unafraid of people sharing the content, of putting the clips up on YouTube, of not copy copywriting yeah. people like us who wanna you know, play a bit of it and give people a taste of it, I think it will be successful. I think it'll be relevant. I think it'll be you know another important voice to have that frankly has been really sorely missing because the thing with Jon Stewart is like, yes, obviously he's like, like liberal, he's, his politics are pretty standard issue liberal, honestly. Mm -hmm. But he's also not afraid, as is evidenced in this clip, to go after the Democratic Party or to go after CNN like he used to always, that was some of yeah, his best work, of his best work was the media yeah. commentary, <laughs> just completely mocking CNN. You know, while he was uh, off of The Daily Show, when he remember when he went on with Colbert and did his whole bit about the lab leak? It was freaking hilarious. Was and that was at a time when it was still like, oh, you can't really say this. You still can't really go there. And he went there and was completely unapologetic about it. And so that type of fearlessness is, um, you know, something that is welcome and always a good addition. And he's just funny and has good timing and is a good comedic writer and has a good team around him. So excited to see Keep what he time. has for us in the future. Even I mean, again, some of his politics are like cringy lib stuff oh, yeah. that we're not going to agree I was with. Say, some but of at the least... Ukraine things that it, that John has done, uh, they're questionable. Some stage time that he's taken up with certain people, including uh, some people that he had on his show yesterday. But you can't. You're not always going to agree with. At them. least it's not it's just okay. like DNC brain worms all day, all, every day. So right. I will take it all. It's day not long. Rachel Maddow saying, "Well, he can ride a bike, and that means that he's not oh too old God. to be the president." <laughs> Yeah, uh, so yeah. John should play that one, actually. I John, should, John should actually run for president. I would take definitely him over That'd Biden or Kamala or Yeah, Trump. I mean, consider it. Better than the options we've got. Let's okay. move on. Uh, we've got the update on the Supreme Court case. This happened a couple of days ago, but we wanted to pair it uh, with some of the more le latest legal Trump developments. There have been some major things happening. But the major headline, really, from the last few days was the Supreme Court really, how do you say this? Defenestrating? Defenestrating? Defenestrating. Defenestrating. Frustrating the uh, Colorado Secretary of State and their legal team who were trying to block Donald Trump's name from the ballot. We have a mashup here of bipartisan justices really just skewering um, their defense of the law for the interpretation that they tried. Here's what they had to say. I think the reason it's been dormant is because there's been a settled understanding that Chief Justice Chase, even if not right in every detail, was essentially right in the branches of the government have acted under that settled understanding for 155 years, and Congress can change that. And Congress does have Section 2383, of course, the Insurrection Act uh, criminal statute, but Congress could change it, but they have not in 155 years in relevant respects for what you want here today, at least. No, Justice Kavanaugh, the reason why it's been dormant is because by 1876, essentially all former Confederates had received amnesty. And we haven't seen anything like an insurrection since then. Would anything compel a, a lower official to obey an order from, in your view, the former president? I'm imagining a situation where, for example, a former president was 
you know, a, a president was elected and they were 25 and they were ineligible to no, hold office, but no, nevertheless they were no, put into that no, office. No, we're talking about Section 3. And please don't change the hypothetical, okay? I'm, please don't change the hypothetical. I know I like doing it too, but please don't do it, okay? Well, now, the, the point I'm trying to make is He's that, disqualified from the moment he committed an insurrection. Whoever it is, whichever party, it, that, that happens. Boom. It happened. What would compel... I'm not going to say it again, so just try and answer the question. If you don't have an answer, fair enough, we'll move on. And I read your opening brief to accept uh, that those events counted as an insurrection, um, but then your reply seemed to suggest that they were not. So wh what is your position oh, as to that? We, we never accepted or conceded in our opening brief that this was an insurrection. What we said in our opening brief was President Trump did not engage in any act that can plausibly be characterized as insurrection. All right, so this why would not this not engage. be an insurrection? What is your argument that it's not? Your reply brief says that it wasn't because, I think you say, um, it did not involve an organized attempt to overthrow right. the government. So That's one of many reasons. But for an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. And this and so the point that is that a chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection? No, we didn't concede that it's an effort to overthrow the government either, Justice Jackson. Right? None of these criteria were met. This was a riot. It was not an insurrection. So what we included there at the end was actually Ketanji Brown Jackson, uh, who was speaking against the Trump people. Now, if you know, listen, in terms of our legal analysis, we're not lawyers and Supreme Court law is like a whole other one. One of the comments I found no, most noteworthy was from Neil Katyal. Uh, you've, I think you've done a monologue on him before, Crystal. Uh, this is like a dyed in the wool, uh, like a you know classic MSNBC Russia Gate type Democrat, but uh, he's one of those lots of corporate connections, etc. But yeah. MSNBC relies on him for legal analysis, which is fair because he's actually argued quite a few cases before the Supreme Court. Here was on behalf of like really terrible yes. outfits. But here was his assessment um, of the Colorado case and their defense before the court. I've watched over 400 Supreme Court arguments. I've done 50 myself. I would tell you. This argument did not go well for the Trump challengers, and that's to put it mildly. I probably have some other adjectives that I won't um, say on air. There you have it. Uh, didn't go so well, and people are expecting either it could be 9-0 or possibly 8-1, depending on how Katanji John Braxton uh, Sotom so or Sonia Sotomayor end up ruling in this case. Any reaction, Crystal, before we move on to the next legal development? I mean— it's not surprising right. whatsoever um, because it was, an, you know, it's a sort of unprecedented situation, aggressive reading of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. There were other uh, states in the country that went in the opposite direction of what Colorado did. And the Supreme Court is fundamentally, and I don't mean this on like the typical political spectrum, but just as like a descriptor, it's mm. a fundamentally conservative body that is loath and sort of cowardly, but loath to really like, you know, insert themselves in the political process in this way. Now, in a lot of ways, that's gonna be sort of unavoidable as we're about to discuss. They are going to have to decide whether they're going to take up an appeal from Trump with regards to whether he should have blanket immunity for basically anything that he did in the context of the presidency. They're gonna have to decide whether to let the appeals court ruling on that stand or take that up. There are gonna be possibly a number of other things that come before them. So they are going to be central to this election, whether they want to or not. And obviously not going in the direction of Colorado is also a decision 
decision and also consequential. But uh, this is not surprising. This is yes. what everybody was effectively predicting from the media. Yeah, I mean, just it was such a novel interpretation, quote unquote. And it was just one of those where it obviously jumped the gun too, especially because it was prior to a trial. But that gets us to the real part. And this is where the Supreme Court case could be a lot more interesting and actually could very much turn on Trump. Let's put this next one up on the screen. Donald Trump actually asked the Supreme Court late last night to pause the ruling that was denying him, quote, absolute immunity. So this is a little bit complicated, but basically there was a previous appeal in which the president said that the election interference trial uh, which is currently trying to have a court date and all of that set. One of the challenges that Trump and his team issued in uh, the appeals court, the DC Court of Appeals, was that was that was subsequently rejected, was that the president has, quote, absolute immunity from criminal prosecution from while he is president. According to them, quote, without immunity from cr criminal prosecution, the presidency as we know it will cease to exist. These were according to the Trump lawyers. Like I said, this has been rejected now by two subsequent appeals courts. Noteworthy though that these appeals courts are far more uh, liberal, I guess, in terms of their appointments. I'm not making a partisan judgment or even really, a, frankly, a judgment on the case itself, but more so just setting it up for what the Supreme Court is now going to have to consider. He has now, by asking the court to have this consideration, it will then trigger the process on their part of whether they're going to accept the case or not. If they don't accept the case, then it will default, Crystal, to the lower court of appeals as opposed to having something that they would rule on. And now, whether they take it, uh, as I said, is up to it's up to the court on which of the three justices, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh, as of how to uh, whether they will take the court, they will take that case before them. Apparently, just in terms of the way uh, that the swing votes and all of that currently lie, but it's one of those where I'm actually not really. Outside of Kavanaugh and Alito, who I believe have more of an interpretation on executive power, this is even the type of thing where Clarence Thomas, who there's a major case going on right now about administrative law, he's more libertarian than others. I would not expect them, at least according to the people I've spoken to, FedSoc, others, that this would be a case that Trump is going to win, yeah. even if it did get accepted by the court. And they may just punch and not take it, because That's that was probably the easiest political course for them as well. Especially because— the appeals court ruling was quite clear. Yeah, it was just and like, was that's not- Quite aggressive. It's just not how it works. And even, you know, it's uh, the appeals court panel, it was three judges, two Democratic appointees, one Republican appointee. It was unanimous. Um, we played, if you guys will recall, a little bit of the oral arguments where they were pretty scathing. They mm -hmm. were basically like, oh, so the president like the could SEAL just team like- six, exactly. Yeah, can yeah. direct the SEAL Team 6 to murder his political rival. And then effectively, if he resigns before he's impeached, he can just get away with that. They, mm -hmm. they were highly scathing and skeptical of this. Obviously, they ruled against the Trump team. I think this is one of these where the Trump team didn't really expect to succeed, but this is part of their strategy of drawing this out as much as possible. And so, you know, the outcome at the Supreme Court is uncertain. I think it's unlikely to go in Trump's direction. But probably the bigger question is just how long do they take to make a decision here? The trial for this case, this is kind of the central one. This is the election sub subversion one, Jack Smith in D.C. Yep. It's, you know, the center of like what happened in 2020 and stop the steal and all of that stuff. That's this case. So it's really the one that is most central to the concerns that so many Americans have about Donald Trump and the disgust that they felt for what they watched unfold on January 6th and also leading up to January 6th. So in a lot of ways, this case is kind of the main event, whether or not it is the most likely to succeed is a different question. So in any case, this was originally scheduled to begin on March 4th. So we were very close on the precipice of this 
bad boy starting up and, you know, mm. really taking over news coverage and being the center of our sort of political universe. And at a very early date in which, you know, it was very, very likely that this would be concluded even before you get to the, the RNC. That original date has been taken off the schedule while this appeals process plays out. And as Sagar was indicating, you know, there are a bunch of different options. Number one, a Supreme Court could just say, no, we're not, the appeals court ruling stands, we're not taking it up, you can proceed, and then that's that, and you would think that the trial would then commence probably pretty shortly. They could take it up in an expedited process, so they consider the appeal, but they do it on a more timely fashion, or they could do it in their sort of like ordinary course of what their normal schedule is, which of course is what the Trump team is pushing for, in which case you would not have this trial then starting till, you know, late in the general election process, most likely. So the stakes here in terms of whether the Supreme Court even decides to take up the appeal are pretty significant, separate and apart from what they ultimately end up deciding, which, like I said, I think most legal observers feel like this is not going to go in Donald Trump's direction. It's more important for what the timing is and how much he's able to delay before this trial actually begins. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's all very well said. And as we come back to it, uh, just wanted to continue to highlight for people that there are still more cases that are not even at the Supreme Court level, which could be consequential for Trump. Two actually this week, let's put this up there on the screen, two cases, two judges as they highlight, we're facing a potential ruling in that civil fraud case that we've talked about previously, which cost Trump hundreds of millions of dollars, which on top of the E. Jean Carroll verdict could be very consequential to him personally. And as we said, he could also receive that court date um, on his actual trial for the first criminal trial of the former U.S. president. This one would go back to... Um, this one would go back to some of the New York instances. This is the Stormy Daniels, Hush Daniels Money situation. Alvin Bragg situation, which we have all laid out. So I know it can be tedious to try and go through the arguments and all this, but it's just so consequential, Crystal, to the ability, literally his ability to run. Because let's say he is convicted, you know, on January 6th, the elected, that election interference trial. Well, we may have to go through an entire recycle of the Colorado ballot access thing, where we'd have a new interpretation. Well, they're like, well, now he's been convicted of this. And even though it's not technically an insurrection, we may have to have the appeals court process. We have the Supreme Court that I have to weigh in again. And then same whenever it comes to his money, his literal ability to fund his life and, you know, his uh, legal bills and whether he'd have to ask his supporters and then coming back to the criminal prosecution in the state of New York and what the actual impact of that would have for him, mm. and not just for his business, his ability to appear on the ballot in the future. Not like he needs New York or, you know, it's not like he's going to win the state of New York or anyway, but the point is, is that that then links back to a little Georgia case, which we haven't even added in here with all the developments of Fannie Willis. So it's a, it's a huge mess. Yeah. And it's actually, there's a mess. hearing in Georgia this week yeah, presenting right. evidence to a judge about the romantic relationship that Fannie Willis was right. having with the dude that she appointed. So that's a whole other situation. But just to go back to these two New York cases and their significance on the civil fraud piece, this could be a lot of money. Even yeah. for someone as incredibly wealthy as Donald Trump, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, that's a lot of money. So um, that one is significant just in terms of his personal wealth, business status. He may be barred from doing business in the state of New York. That's where some of his most iconic properties are around which the Trump brand has mm -hmm. been built. So that's significant from that perspective. The other one, the Alvin Bragg one, I mean, this is seen as sort of like the stepchild, the least significant of the criminal charges against Donald Trump. And this is where the delay 
on the uh, the immunity question that we were just talking about with regards to the actual election subversion case, this is where this becomes really significant. Because if it weren't for that delay, that would have been the case that went first, which again is the one that is much more central to people's concerns about Donald Trump. So even for him to have the timing be that the Alvin Bragg case starts first, and that's Americans' first taste of you know Trump on trial, that's sort of the the narrative that sets in. I know it's a much easier case for him to make that that one is you know politically charged and these are old allegations and it's a witch hunt, et cetera, than it is to make that same charge against the um, election subversion case, which again, many Americans have deep concerns about. So I think it is a tactical win for him that the Alvin Bragg case is the first one to launch here. Most likely that's the first one where the trial date is gonna be the earliest and where we're hearing evidence and all of those things. So um, in any case, it's still a real guessing game how the timing on all of these things is going to play out, but this is what we know at this point to the best of our ability. Yeah, I think you are very right in raising that. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.